You know, in the last, probably just within the last month or so, I have done a number of funerals. Um, one of the things about um, my job and Pastor Bubba as well and all of our pastors is um, we get to have great moments. We go from celebrating with people that just had a baby um, to doing weddings. I did a wedding yesterday to unfortunately doing funerals. And uh, funerals are definitely very, very difficult with some. Some are celebrations. Um, but the past month has been very difficult ones, unfortunately. And uh, in these funerals, you know, it's, it's sad because you find out a lot about a person when you go to these funerals. And, you know, sit down and you meet the family and they share stories and all these different things. You find out kind of a little bit of what their legacy is. And, and being in these funerals these past, this past month has gotten me really honestly asking a lot of just personal questions. How many know something about a funeral awakens you to the reality that life is short? Y'all know what I'm talking about? That, that life matters, that it's short, and you want to make sure that what you're investing your life in is just making a difference, that it's mattering. I, I went to a, a funeral a while back, and the greatest thing they could talk about with this man was he loved the saints. And I thought, man, what a waste. That's all that they could say about this man was that he loved the saints, which let's go ahead and stop and say a prayer for our saints today because LSU didn't pull through. Anyways, um, <laughs> I need something good this weekend, <laughs> all right? But uh, this, is, this is the moment that we really are wrestling through is what do we want to be remembered for? You're going to die. I'm going to die. The day's going to come. Some it will come sooner than others. We don't know when that's going to be, but what, what will we be remembered for? And so today I've titled this message, A Life Beyond me. If you, got your, if you got your notes, you can go with me or you can turn your Bibles or turn your Bible on uh, to Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to start today. And uh, this is a series or, or, or just a single message really that's just to kind of get us, reminding us why we do what we do and, and just really hopefully a wake-up call to you to get into the game, to step into what God's called you. And this is what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Everybody say calling. calling. Now, how many of you believe in here that God has a purpose and a calling for your life? Shoot your hand up, raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay. You believe God's got a purpose for your life. Okay. All right. How many of you, second question, how many of you know what it is? Four, five, six. All right. You know, that, that most of us in here, when we read a scripture like this, read it like this. I urge y'all to live a life worthy of the calling y'all, like we're in Texas, y'all received. But this isn't a y'all message. This isn't a y'all scripture. This is a you. You have a calling. Most of us know that we have a calling, know that we have a purpose, but if we sat down one-on-one, -on -one, went to Java Jolts and had some coffee together, and we started talking about purpose, I think some people are like, what, you have a purpose? Yes, I know I have a purpose. Well, what is it? And they're like, I'm uh, Love, love God, some people be nice. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Most people don't understand what it is. So today, I want to help you begin to work through the process of what is it that God has called me to do? How many of you have ever like gone to Walmart or you've gone to a store or maybe even driving and you saw somebody that you thought that you recognized and you're honking and waving and they turn around and it's not the person you thought it was? Anybody had that before? a little mistaken identity. You're like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, do I know you? Like, I just want to see how you're doing. <laughs> Have a good day. 
Anybody have that? I've had that happen a number of times. Or how about this? How many have ever done where you've accidentally text somebody what you meant to text your wife or your husband or somebody else? You're like, oh, baby, I can't wait to get home, man. I've been waiting to hold you. And then you're like, beep, no, no. You see, you know what I mean? And then the awkward reply, either there's no reply, then you got to fill in what they're thinking, or they reply back and say something, yeah, I can't wait to hold you too, or something, you know, whatever. There's been a number of times that I've done something like that, or didn't realize I was in a group text with other people. Whew, that's some bad things. If you go look on Google, there's a number of conversations that people sent texts to the wrong people and got themselves busted for things. But uh, this is, honestly, I think oftentimes when it comes to our relationship with God, we think that God's got a mistaken identity. Like, oh, well, well, he didn't really mean that for me. That was probably for you. He just, he butt called me. He wasn't supposed to call me. It was somebody else. He was supposed to call somebody else. But the truth is, God didn't butt call you. He really called you. He really has a purpose for you. He's got a calling on your life. And if there's anything that I want to help you do is I want to help you discover what that is. So in 1943... There was a psychologist by the name of Abraham Maslow. He was, uh, he was a psychologist, a secular psychologist, actually. And he came up with what was called the hierarchy of needs. And the hierarchy of needs was four needs that he felt like in every person, these are the needs that motivate us as people. What motivates people to get up every morning, to go to work, to do what they do? And he boiled it down to four. I'm going to share those four with you in just a minute. But 50 years, over the, the next 50 years, he actually increased it to eight. He added four more on top of it. I'm going to show you the first four, and then I'll show you the, the last four. So here's the first, first four. First one, if you were to imagine like a triangle, the base of it, this is what he says is physical needs. Physical needs. This is uh, your need for food, your need for water, your need for air, your need for shelter. Just basic human necessary needs that you and I have. You're going to go, the, as soon as you leave here, you're probably going to go eat lunch because you got a food need, and I'll get you out before the Baptist, so don't worry. Okay, so, all right, so physical needs. <laughs> was that low? I mean, what was going on? All right. Number two, let me tell you the next one, safety needs. Now, we all have this need to want to feel secure, that we want to feel safe. It's the reason why you locked your doors probably when you left today. It's the reason why you're in the church parking lot, and you're like, oh. You're like, sinners here, okay, all right? So <laughs> it's the reason why we don't do altar calls. Everybody comes forward. Your, your purse may be stolen, all right? So, um, right? <laughs> so it's the reason why we, why we lock things. It's the reason why we like security. It's the reason why you stay at a job that you hate. Safety and security. It's a need of ours. Here, let me give you number three. Love needs. Love needs. This is, this is why social media and Facebook and Instagram and all those are so popular is because people want to feel loved. They want to feel needed. They want, they, they're constantly checking to see, do I have a red dot at the bottom? Does someone love me? Does someone care for me? It's the reason why we join clubs. It's the reason why we join churches. It's the reason why we join whatever we join is because we want to fit in. We want to belong. We want to be loved. We long for this. Number four is esteem needs. Esteem needs. This is the, the, the reason why we want to be recognized. It's the reason why we want to be complimented. It's the, reason, it's the reason why you looked in the mirror this morning before you came to church. 
Okay, now by the way, women look in the mirror way different than men look in the mirror. Women look in the mirror and they're looking, oh, I wish I had this, and oh, that looks bad, and all that. A guy looks in the mirror, he's like, yeah, that's good. That's some good stuff. He could have a pot belly, and he's like, man, sexy right there. You, you're sexy. You. And your wife shows up, who are you talking to? Oh, nobody. Mind your business. Right? That's a man right there. <laughs> but that's what we have this esteem need. Now, let me, let, me, let me do this. These first four, though, here's the problem. Most people spend their entire lives in these first four, trying to get physical safety, love, and esteem needs. So they're constantly trying to find love, most of the time in all of the wrong places, constantly trying to make money to feel secure, constantly trying to get the physical. And, and it's not necessarily bad, but most people stay in this constantly. The, the problem is you can't move to step five, six, seven, and eight without one big thing, God. God is the missing factor of why most people stay in this and never move to the next ones. And so their life feels like it's not going anywhere. It's not making a difference. It's not, it's not doing anything because they're stuck here, which is why we want to help you. This is where God comes into play. God gives us purpose. He gives us life. So let me give you number five. Number five is cognitive needs. This is the needs of uh, the desire to want to learn. It's the reason why we like watching Discovery Channel. It's the reason why we like watching shows like How It's Made. How many like watching like behind the scenes on how things are made? Like when Lindsay and I and the boys, when we watch a movie, we usually will go and try to find the behind the scenes of how they made the movie and how they shot the movie and what all they did. I love that kind of stuff. But that's this part right here, this, this cognitive need, this desire to want to learn and grow. Number six is the artistic need. This is the reason why we, we, we decorate our homes. This is the reason why we mow our lawns. This is the reason why we plant flowers. We, we like things that are artistic. We like things that are colorful and beautiful. And you can do these, of course, without God, but with God, it just makes things so much better. These things become more beautiful. Number seven, let me give you number seven. Number seven is purpose needs. Now, this is a big one right here, and this one, honestly, is the God factor one. This is, the purpose needs is, is what makes us wanna, wanna strive, wanna get better, wanna win, wanna be the best. This is the reason why you, you cheer on the Astros till one in the morning, for those that did. This is, this is why we cheer on the teams that we cheer for, because we want to purpose, we want to win, we want to get better, we want to, this is what we do. Problem is, though, Maslow said this, he said, and, and actually you proved him right, 2% of the people in America have this need met, 2%. Uh, the first question that I asked was, how many feel like you have a purpose and a calling, and almost 100% of the hands went up. Second question was, how many you know what it is? Five, six hands went up. Point proven, Maslow. Most people don't know this. Problem with that is, is when you don't know your purpose, you'll misuse it. I didn't see anybody in here pushing their car into the parking lot. Now, if you would have, first thing was we would have asked, you got any gas? And they'd be like, yeah, I got plenty of gas. Well, then why are you pushing it? I thought that's what you're supposed to do. It's got four wheels. Don't you push it? No, you don't. You get in it. You turn it on and you drive. Most people live their life that way. They're pushing when they should be driving. 
most people are not living the purpose that God has for you, and you're frustrated because you don't know why you can't experience real joy in life, it's because you haven't discovered this yet. So you're striving to find your satisfaction in your work, but it's not, not enough for you. So you're striving and trying to be more beautiful or more famous or more, and it's just not doing enough for you. So you try to find it in love and it's not doing it for you. And there's something that's missing and you're trying to figure out why am I so miserable and yet I'm so busy? It's because you haven't found this. And the way that you find this is number eight. And here's the big God factor. It's a big word. It's called the transcendence needs. The transcendence needs. Which, by the way, let me, let me just say, for, really for both of these, for the purpose needs, for everybody in here that did not raise your hand that says, man, I don't, I don't really know what my purpose is, this is why we created Next Step, by the way. We say, give us four Sundays, four Sundays to help you discover what this is right here. We'll help you. We'll get you plugged into a dream team. We'll help you find what you love to do. Miss Tracy, my wife, we got all these different people that are coming in that are trying to help you have conversations and say, what do you love to do? What does God experience? What experiences have you had? Let's look at all these things. Let's find your spiritual gifts and let's find what you love to do and let's give you an eternal purpose for this. So I encourage you to go to next step for sure. Transcendence needs, look at this. Look, look, look how transcendence is uh, the, def the definition of transcendence. Transcendence is exceeding usual limits, surpassing. Exceeding usual limits, surpassing. This is what transcendence is. It's beyond. That's why the title of today's message is a, is a life beyond me. Transcendence is beyond. Now watch this. This is the coolest part, okay? So we started with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, which talks about, I urge you to live the life that God's called you to live. You know what the verse before that says? Watch. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do, what's that word? Exceedingly what? Abundantly what? Above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He can do, God can do exceedingly abundantly. He can do transcendence beyond immeasurably more than you can think when you live, verse one, the calling that God has for you. Do y'all see the connection now? Most oftentimes, you don't, you don't realize when they wrote the Bible, they didn't have chapters and verse. It was all together. And sometimes we segregate them and don't realize they're connected. When I realize that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more through me, the way he does that is when I begin to fulfill the calling he has for my life. Y'all with me? Everybody with me so far? Okay, I know I'm teaching. But let me, let me walk you through how we begin to do this. Because I believe some of you are actually living out your purpose. It just doesn't have an eternal value to it. So you're doing something that God's called you to do, but you haven't connected God to it, which is why you can't find joy in it. But if you just bring God into what you're doing, you would take it to the next level. So watch this. Okay. So how do we begin to live beyond ourselves? Well, let me ask this question first. How many of you would say, if I could, if I could help you solve your problems, how many of you say, I want to find out how to solve my problems? Anybody in here want to help me? I'll help you solve your problems. You ready? Okay. You're going to pay me a lot of money for this. Okay. I'm going to be on Oprah. Okay. So... <laughs> Here's how you solve your problems. You put something in your life bigger than your problems. All right, you're welcome. Okay, all right. <clears throat> See, when I serve a cause that's bigger than my problems, it gives me perspective to my problems. When I serve something that's beyond me, 
it helps me no longer focus on me and realize there's something beyond me, which actually in turn helps me deal with me. The reason why most people are miserable is because they're only focused on their problems. What would it look like if you went beyond your problems and realized you could do something beyond your problems? You'd be surprised at how you can walk through problems when you do something beyond your problems. Man, I am preaching good in this white church, okay? <laughs> Give me some color in here, okay? All right. So we want to live beyond ourselves. So how do we do that? So we're going to go to a story in Luke chapter 10. We're going to stay in Luke chapter 10 pretty much the most of the time. But in Luke chapter 10, we are going to uh, see about the story of the Good Samaritan. Most of you have probably heard this story before. But I want to hopefully give you some fresh eyes to see this in relating to how do we live beyond me. So first one, number one, is that it takes sight. It takes sight. Just write that down. It takes sight. Let's go to this passage. Okay. So this is Jesus giving this parable, and he says this, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. Now by chance, a priest came along. So let's pause. Great! The pastor shows up on the scene. Man, he got robbed, he got beat. Pastor shows up. How many of you would think, this is gonna be awesome, okay? Pastor showed up to the hospital, we're all good. We got this taken. It's all good. It's all good. Let's look at the next verse. When he saw the man lying there, what does he do? He, what? he crosses the other side of the road and passes him by. Dang, that's not cool. Well, okay, well, we got, we got a temple assistant. We got the associate pastor now shows up. Okay, now we definitely got this. This is the youth pastor. He cares for people. Okay, hopefully. So he shows up and he walks over and he looks at him. Sees the guy, but he also passed by on the other side. That's not good. Okay, so look what happens next. Then a despised Samaritan. And this is, this is huge because it said that it was a Jewish man that came down. And a Jewish people and Samaritans did not like each other. It was, it was very much racism and bigotry towards one another. Uh, they hated one another. They thought Samaritans were half-breeds. This is what would happen. Jews would go to church, and they would pray out loud, and here's what they would pray. Imagine if this happened in this church. This is what it would say. If it was today's vernacular, this is what it would say. They'd come into church, and they go, God, thank you that I'm not a woman and I'm not black. And they would pray that in church. That's what they would pray. And here we are, we have a Samaritan who's of a totally different ethnicity that shows up. It would be like there's a race riot that's going on between Jews and Samaritan. Yeah. When I said it, all y'all were like, ah! yeah. Well, I don't know why you do that because people do that on Facebook and you think it's fine. Uh, oh, it's only church. Okay, never mind. All right. So, so a despised Samaritan shows up on the scene. Now, you gotta, you gotta imagine, Jesus is telling this to a bunch of Jewish people, and so they, when they, as soon as they heard, and a despised Samaritan shows up, they're like, Psh. oh, a despised Samaritan, okay, great. What's he doing here? And now we're gonna find out that Jesus is gonna make him the hero of the story. It says he, he came along, and, and he saw the man. Now, quick question, did all three people see the man, yes or no? Yes. yes. The only one felt compassion for him. 
Only one truly saw this man for who he really was. The other people saw race. The other people saw, I don't really want to help. I don't want to, uh, you know. And, and the sad thing is, it was a Jewish man. It was their own man. So it was, it was their own people that was hurt. It was their own guy that's hurt. And they said, no, nah, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Hey, I'll be praying for you. Just want to let you know I'm praying for you. And they walk on by, and here we go. We have a Samaritan that shows up on the scene. And even though there's hatred and bigotry towards each other in the race, the Samaritan's the hero because he sees not a color of a skin. He sees a man. Come on, OSC. We're going to see the color. We aren't going to see the color. How many know Jesus is colorblind, by the way? Y'all know that, right? So if you're white, glad you're here. If you're black, welcome home. And I'm going to say that. Because unfortunately in Jennings, there's black churches and white churches. There's not heaven churches. There needs to be heaven churches. That's got white, black, mixed. Come on, somebody. Trying to raise the Mexican population, trying to get it up. Orientals. Come on, we're just trying to get all ethnicities in here. All right. So, but this is the situation. This is honestly the situation that's going on. It is a race issue. It's a race issue. And it speaks to today. Speaks to today. But God sees he's, uh, this man, this, this Samaritan man, doesn't see race. He just sees a man. He sees a man that's hurting. And here's the sad part of all this. The two guys that showed up before, the pastor, the priest, and the, the associate priest, were the ones most qualified to help the dude. They had the most knowledge. They memorized five books of the Bible. I mean, these guys, I mean, the pastor showed them a scene, you're like, yes, he's going to do something. And he doesn't. And the person who's most least likely not to do something does something. This is the story of what happens. Write this down. While you're on your way, God will put people in your way. While you're on your way, God will put people in your way. Listen, all three of these guys were just on their way, the same route that this guy was going. They weren't going to go help this guy. They were on their route to go do whatever they were doing. Maybe the pastor was going to church. Maybe the priest was going to a Bible study. I don't know where the Samaritan was going, but he was going somewhere. And on their way, here was a man in the way. And how many know God will allow you in your life, in the middle of your week, in the middle of you rushing around, in the middle of you doing errands, in the middle of your Walmart, he'll put people in your way. In the Walmart aisle, just move. I need Velveeta. All right. So, right? <laughs> You're in my way, but not realizing that God put them in your way because he wants you to meet them because they need something that you got. But often people are just a nuisance to us because we got our own lives to live. We got our own things to do, and we don't realize how many opportunities we miss every day. Who is in your way right now that's at your job that you just want, I can't wait till he gets out of the way, not realizing that maybe God put him in your way. Come on, I'm preaching really good right now. What person needs your time, needs your attention, needs your ear? I love what Martin Luther King said. Look what Martin Luther King, he preached a message on the Good Samaritan. This is what he said. I imagine that the first question the priest and Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to who? Me. Me. Watch this. But the good Samaritan reversed the same question. He says, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? See, most of us don't see the needs around us because we're only worried about what will happen to me. But what happened if we would reverse that question and go, if I don't say something, if I don't stop, if I don't, what would happen to them? God has put you and I 
as Christians, as a church in a city that's broken and hurting because they need us. More importantly, they need him. But you're the answer. God uses people. But the first thing you got to do is you got to see it. You got to see it. Now, for those that uh, may not know, I am what is called nearsighted. Now, it's crazy in the, in the ophthalmology world. When they say you're nearsighted, it actually means you can't. Does anybody know? Yeah, you can't see far. So they're so screwed up. Okay, all right. I, I would think it should be safe far side. So I can't see, if I took my glasses off, um, I could see the first couple of rows here and then beyond you would be a blur. Um, and then of course, then you got far sighted, which is those people who can't see near. I, I've actually been out where I didn't have my glasses on and, and people are like, Pastor Josh, is that you? I didn't even recognize you. I'm like, what is this, like Superman? Like I'm not Clark Kent, what is this going on? I don't look, I mean, I don't wear makeup or anything. I mean, what are you talking about? You don't recognize me. Um, you need glasses. And so... Um, <laughs> I think spiritually, there are a lot of us, though, that can see here, but can't see there. I see this. I see my problems and my issues and my things. I just can't see anybody else's. And when you're so consumed with your own issues, you can't see anybody else's. Come on, somebody. Let me put it another way. You can't reach what you can't see. And the reason why maybe you're not reaching people is because you're not seeing them. And it's not that they're not there. They're there. They live right beside you. Maybe even in your own bed. But God has put people around us in our way when we're on our way. And I am, I am, I am personally convinced that if Jesus was here at OSC and he was preaching this is what I would think he would tell us. Ready? Open your eyes. Open your eyes. The Bible would say this in John chapter 4. Jesus told his disciples, hey, open your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look for the fields are white with harvest. Look up. I have to tell my boys that all the time. My youngest, I'm not going to mention, Joel, is um, <laughs> this is how he walks. All the time. And he runs into people. All the time. So I'm constantly going, but lift up your head. Lift up your, look up. Look up. And most people are living their life honestly like this. And not realizing that God wants to do something through. I wish we would see our city the way God sees our city. I wish you would see your work like the way God sees your work, sees the employees, sees your boss, sees your school, sees your, come on, y'all with me here? God just, what would it be like if you just woke up in the morning and said, God, help me to see people the way you see them today? Woo! Watch out now, because you're going to see some hurt. But it's not just good enough to see it. Here's number two. It not only takes sight, if you want to live beyond yourself, it takes sacrifice. Amen. Take sacrifice. Watch, watch what happens. So in the story, so all three of them see the guy, but only one. Only one actually says, what are we doing about this? Watch, watch the next verse, and it says this. It says, and so he goes over to him. Doesn't just see him. Now he goes over to him. Okay, now he's got to have a conversation. It says, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he could take care of him. Notice what he did not do. Notice he didn't say, hey, brother, I'm just praying for you, man. Hope it all goes well. All right, see ya. Right? He doesn't say, hey, listen, here's a flyer. 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11.15. I hope to see you at our Savior's church. 
We got a lot of broken people just like you. I hope you can get there. <laughs> right? That's weird. Isn't that what we do though? People on Facebook crying out for help and we're like, hey, I just hope you show up at church sometime. <laughs> Go get their butt. Bring them here. This is what this guy did. He said, you know what? Uh, uh, man, I'm sorry you're all beat up. I'm going to do something about it. I'm sure he takes off his shirt, takes off all, all of his stuff off of his horse, his donkey or whatever, and, and sits down and he starts bandaging the wounds. How many of you know that's gross? That's nasty. That's bloody. Sometimes love is expressed through sweat. We only want to express it with words, but sometimes the greatest love is expressed through sweat and getting involved. And sometimes we don't want to put in the sweat equity that God's calling us in humanity. Humanity needs people that are willing to step in and go, I'll get dirty too. All of our life groups leaders here are, are learning this, especially if this is their first semester leading people. And this has definitely been a revelation that I've had over the years and in over 17 years, I know this very well. People are messy. And they stink. Most of the time. And it's hard work. I read a survey the other day. Top, top four jobs, uh, top worst jobs, hardest jobs in the U.S. <clears throat> Number one was the U.S. Uh, uh, was president. Number two was the president of a university, and number three was a pastor. <laughs> I said, oh, thank you. Mm, this is encouraging my soul. You know why? Because people are hard work. I know I'm a piece of work, and I definitely know you are. So together, we're all really hard work. The problem is nobody wants to get into the hard work. Nobody wants to make sacrifice. The only sacrifice people want to make is if it benefits. Isn't that true? Go to 8 a.m. Why would I do that? To make seats for other people. Mm, I don't like that. All right. Why? We make sacrifices for other people, right? This is, this is, what, we, this is what we do. Write this down. God hasn't just called us to invite. He's called us to get involved. I hope you invite people. I, I pray that you invite people, and I think a lot of people have. God has grown our church tremendously. In the last three years, our church has tripled in size. This is amazing. I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, God. God's got his hand on our church in a phenomenal way, and he only gets the credit for all this. But can I tell you what the number two reason I think it is? How many of you in here are coming to our church because somebody invited you or you heard about it from somebody? Raise your hand. Yeah, exactly. See? You got involved. You invited. You, 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 you plugged in. How many of you enjoyed the worship today? How many of you thought, man, that worship was on fire? Yeah. Guess what? All of those people are volunteer dream teamers. None of them get paid to do that. They show up at 6.30 on a Sunday morning to lead worship at 8, at 9.30, at 11.15, so you can encounter Jesus. Come on. We better give them and our production team a huge hand. They're awesome. They're awesome. The people that do stuff behind the scenes, the videos that you get to watch of our messages get done by Don and his wife and them every week. Thank God for those people. Thank God for the people that serve. Thank God for the Parkers that are in the rain directing you. Thank God people are watching your kids so you can have some sanity for at least an hour. Come on, somebody. 
But more than that, more than them just watching, they're investing and loving. I'm so thankful for the people that are in our church that say, you know what, it's not going to be about me. Because most people, most people, that's most people in the South go to church, but they don't want to be the church because it takes sacrifice. It takes rolling up the sleeves. I wish I could say ministry was easy. It's not. It's the hardest, most bloodiest thing I've ever done in my life. But it's also the most rewarding. And the sad thing is if you don't get involved, you also don't get the reward. And the reward that all of our dream team has is that they get to see people come in here that are broken, that are hurting. And get to see them raise their hand and say, I surrender my heart to the Lord. And then over the next weeks and months, watch their marriages get transformed. And their kids fall in love with God. That's the reward. That's the reward. But it takes sacrifice. I guarantee you, there's nothing in your life that you have that's great that didn't require you to have sacrifice. The only thing that I'm asking is, is what you're giving your life to actually going to matter in eternity? Or will it just matter here? Let's make sure that our sacrifice is good. Watch Matthew 20, verse 26 says, whoever wants to become great. Come on, how many want to be great? Raise your hand. Okay, you ready? Here's how you do it. Jesus says, among you, you must be a, what? Yeah, that's not a Bible verse that we want to memorize. (laughs) Whoever wants to be first must be your what? Hey, do that with your kids next time, okay? When they want to eat first, you go, you know what the Bible says? You're her slave now. Let's <laughs> see how that goes. All right, so just as the Son of Man, watch, just as Jesus did not come to be served, how many know if there's anybody on the planet that had the ability to come and be served, it would be Jesus? But he came to serve and, now watch this, and to give his life. Pause right there. To give his life. Anybody in here thankful that Jesus gave his life for you? Anybody here? Okay, all right. I'm too, I'm too. But dear God, did he just give his life so we could live our life for ourselves too? No, he gave his life as a ransom for many. And in doing so, because he gave his life for us, guess what now he calls us to do? To give our lives for others. Write this down if you, want, if you want to just take some side notes. People that have changed the world were not the most gifted. They were the most willing. People that changed the world were not the most gifted. They were the most willing. And I'm so thankful for the people in this church that are willing to roll up their sleeve. A flood hits, let's get to work. Let's do something. Let's find something. Man, I just, I love seeing what God's doing. Number three, it takes Generosity. It takes generosity. Luke chapter 10, verse 35 says, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I am here. The story of the Good Samaritan is remembered 2,000 years later, not because he sat on the sidelines, but because he got involved, he made sacrifice, and he was generous. And his generosity is now remembered even to this day. Write this down if you want to write this on the side. What we do, watch this, what we do for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others lives beyond us. Isn't this so true? Think about your legacy. Maybe think about if you maybe had a good legacy or you had good parents or good grandparents and think about where you are today because of what they did for you. And this is what we're talking about, leaving something beyond. I want to live live in such a way that my life lives beyond me. 
beyond myself. This is what it says in Psalms 112. It says, good will come. Now watch this. Good will come to him who is what? Who is generous and lends freely and who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. What? Now I don't know about y'all, but he's lying. Right? You all have a problem with this? I got a problem with this. Because this says that whoever's generous and whoever lends freely, they'll never be shaken. I don't know. I've tried to live a generous life, and I've been pretty shaken. Anybody else been here? Anybody Your life's been shaken? So I read this verse, and I'm like, liar. Liar. But then I realize, you know what? No, he's not talking about that you will never go through hard times. He's talking about that when you are shaken, you'll be able to get through it. You know why? Because there will be something in your life greater than you. Y'all with me? Because he's generous. He's constantly giving. He's constantly giving his life away. And so when life comes and tries to shake you, you go, you know what? It was never about me anyway, so I'm, I can't be shaken. Y'all with me? And Now watch this. And a righteous man or, or woe man, all right, will be what? Remembered forever. Remembered forever. I, I, I pray that we would be a people that we live so generously, we, we live for God and for his kingdom that we will be remembered forever. And the way you do that is you gotta give to something that will outlive you. And I'm not just talking about money and tithes and offerings and all that stuff. I'm talking about you just giving your life away, your time away, your talents away. You know, when I think back, I, I don't remember. I mean, I celebrate the Astros winning the World Series. It's awesome. But I'm telling you right now, a couple years from now, I don't remember those things. You know, you know what I do remember? I remember my second grade teacher. I remember the time that she spent with me investing in me. I remember her. You know, I remember, I remember my junior high and high school coach that told me that I could play. I think he lied to me, but he... <laughs> still love that man. I mean, he encouraged me. <laughs> but I remember him. I remember him. It's the people that I remember. It's not the awards and accolades. I couldn't tell you who was a 2015, you know, any award. Honestly, awards tarnish, but people don't. Y'all with me here? Let's just be generous with our lives. Give our life away. Give our life away. Number five, last one, is it takes urgency. Watch this, Luke chapter 10, and we're done. Luke chapter 10, verse 36 now. It says, now which of these, this is Jesus now. Now Jesus talks to the, to the man who asked them this question of who is my neighbor. And he says, now which of these three would you say is a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. And he said, exactly. Yes. Now watch this. Now go and do the same. Now go and do the same. This last funeral that I did, it was a 30-year-old. He was actually a part of our church. It was, a difficult, it was a difficult funeral to do. And one of the things that I told the people that were there is I said, you know, the wild thing about funerals like this, especially when it's a tragedy like this, is no one planned on being here last week. <laughs> and no one in this room is further away than one phone call away from your life going like this. Right? I know we think we're invincible. I know we think we're Superman. 
and that won't happen to us. But we could probably go around this room and share enough stories of people in here who have had tragedy that you didn't think it would happen to whoever it was, and it did. Life is too short for us not to do things now. Like, do it now. Don't put it off. More of the funerals that I go to, I'm counseling with people who live with regret because they did something they knew they should have done, and they waited, and they didn't do it, and now it's too late. He says, listen, go now. Go now. Go now. Whatever it is that you've been putting off, do it right now. The, the Samaritan walked by the guy, and he could have said, hey, I'll try to come back later and see if you're still there. He said, no, I've got I to do something. I've got I've, I've to step in. I've got to do something now. I want you to look at this number. 7,361. So I just, just came across this survey that was done in 2012 of Jeff, Jefferson Davis Parish. You know what this number represents? This number represents the amount of people that have no religious affiliation. You know what that means? Don't go to church anywhere. Don't believe in God. 7,361. That's like 24% of our parish. Let me break it down. One out of four people that you meet have no religious affiliation. This number haunts me. You know why? Because our church ain't big enough for this. So you know what we got to do? We got to keep building. We got to keep adding services. We got to keep reaching people. But instead of getting consumed with this big number, can I tell you the number you need to be most consumed with? That one. Because that one's on your street. That one's in your house. That one's at your work. That one is at your school. And how many know every one matters? And if we'll continue every one in here, we'll reach every one. Come on, how many know we're going to get this number down? Dear God, I pray, if anything, our Savior's Church is here to get this number down right here. I pray we make it hard for people in Jeff Davis Parish to go to hell because our Savior's Church is in this house. Y'all with me here? Do it now. Do it now. So it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take all of us. We're going to have to do it. We've got to do it together. Ephesians 5 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, every opportunity that you have because the days are evil. I'm going to end with this last one. Today, watch this, I will live as if this is the day that will be remembered. Today, I will live as if this is the day that will be remembered. Pray that that's the, that's the mentality that we have. We have some urgency in what we do. Have urgency in what we do. Now, here's the greatest part of this story. I saved the best for last. The, the story of the Good Samaritan is a great story. I mean, it's, it's cool to see this guy in the midst of racism reach out, love this guy who was battered and bruised and beaten. But you know what makes this story the best story? is this story is actually a picture of the ultimate Good Samaritan. You know who the ultimate Good Samaritan was? Jesus. And do you know who was the beaten, battered, broken person on the side of the road? And how many of you are glad that he stepped down from heaven and he got involved and he saw us and he took us and he bandaged us and he healed us and he paid the debt and he did, come on somebody. 
This is what motivates us to live beyond myself. When people go, why are you doing this? Because Jesus did it to me. And if Jesus did it to me, I'm going to do it to you. Why are you forgiving me? Because Jesus forgave me. Why are you loving me? I don't love you. Because Jesus loved me when I didn't love you. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm just talking about other people. You know what I'm talking about. But y'all with me here? We're just mimicking what has been done to us. So I don't want you to leave out here like, oh, I just need to love better, and I need to give more, and I need to just sacrifice more. I need to try harder. Don't leave here like that. I pray you leave here going, God, thank you for loving me, bandaging me, healing me, paying my debt. And because you did that, God, may my life be beyond me. 